being able to, particularly for women and people from less represented groups in my firm, help them kind of discover their potential and find a road and understand that, yes, you can have a family and do these kinds of jobs. There is a network of women that will help each other. And it's kind of great to be able to sort of put my head above the parapet a little bit and see that we can get there. With a mindset on both interrogating gender equity issues on a global scale and experiencing all the adventure the world held for her, Mariah Rosberg thought she would be just a wanderer. Over time, structure imposed itself on her, first by an unexpected work path and then motherhood. Find out how sometimes listening to that which calls you to venture out and applying it closer to home can do a world of good on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today, I'm here with my friend Mariah Rosberg, and we are going to talk about the steps we take and the leaps we take. And it is just so lovely to see you again, Mariah. Welcome. It is so nice to see you too, Leslie. This is a great opportunity for some introspection that we don't often get to sit back and do. So thank you for having me. Well, we're going to roll right into it then. So here are the first two questions, and they are, when we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? Well, that is quite a question, set of questions. Well, I guess like many of us, when I arrived, I really had no idea who I was going to be. I came from Minnesota and my kids like to tease me now about the story that I actually wore a cowboy hat on the first day of Dartmouth. (laughs) This was way before, you know, cowboy hats were cool and had been really very sheltered and had kind of a very quiet kind of studious childhood. And I was so excited to be at Dartmouth. I had never really spent any time on the East Coast before. And I was sure I was going to have all sorts of adventures. And I did, you know, it was just incredibly eye-opening for me. I found these students from the East Coast who had grown up in big cities to be super worldly and sophisticated. And I was kind of overwhelmed by some of the experiences and mature attitudes that they had. So I feel like the first couple months of Dartmouth were really just a fire hose for me, as I'm sure they were for many of us. Um, And I really didn't know what I was going to find that I was going to be passionate about. But I found, you know, a lot of things at Dartmouth that really inspired me. I loved the school. I made a lot of great friends, as, as many of us did. I really kind of ignited a lifelong interest and passion for gender equity issues through some of the classes that we took, but also... I think just experiencing Dartmouth as a young woman who came from a very, not traditional, but sheltered background was pretty startling. And, you know, I wish that I knew then what I know now and (laughs) give me a lot of lessons that I would impart to my own daughter. But that I found kind of set me in a direction where I was really interested in understanding how, you know, women versus men kind of experience some of these traditional settings like a university like Dartmouth. And then I, you know, got into some of the coursework and I did some extracurricular activities and volunteering, um, some travel that came later. But that was, you know, one of the things that I that I really found about myself at Dartmouth. And then I also just found like this massive love for the world and for travel and languages and exploration, which I kind of knew was in there before I arrived, but it just like exploded when I, you know, was exposed to all of those things. And I remember the first time I saw New York City was actually Thanksgiving break, freshman year, going home with a friend to Westchester, where I live now, and passing the city in the distance, being like, that's it. That's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to live my life. And then I also really 
loved the travel experiences I had while I was at Dartmouth. So one of them, of course, was the time that we shared in Italy, That's our right. language study abroad, which was probably still one of the best handful of weeks I've ever had. It was just sort of magical. Uh, but then I also did my own sort of trip junior year. I felt like I really just needed to get off campus. It was like deep New Hampshire winter, and I needed another sort of jolt of adventure before I was done with my college experience, I thought. So I created this trip of my own where I spent some time in Argentina. Um, I found a shelter for women who were homeless and pregnant, and they basically would come to this shelter, have their babies, and then learn skills so that they could find work afterwards. And we helped uh, with like prenatal care and taking care of their other children, and then education around a lot of it was like household uh, management tasks, um, a little bit of language, typing, things like that. So I was there for about three months volunteering and living in Buenos Aires. And that was a truly meaningful and, and kind of amazing experience that has stayed with me for many years. But after that, when I came back and had, you know, just a great senior year, I was pretty sure that I was going to be this free spirit, you know, kind of wandering, traveling, working in some form of uh, women's issues and really didn't have any plans. And it's remarkable now because I, I actually have this very sort of structured job now. And I, I work with a lot of people who are doing internships from colleges or, you know, just coming out of undergrad for the first time and getting their first jobs. And they're so planned and they have these fantastic resumes and these well-wrought ambitions and these, you know, sort of plans for where they're going to go in the future. And I contrast that to what I thought I was going to be when I left Dartmouth, and it's pretty different. <laughs> so I think I thought I would be just a, a wanderer. And um, luckily, I, I found a path uh, eventually. Yeah, that is so interesting, right? Usually, I don't inject my memories of people so much. But when you first said, oh, I came from Minnesota and this sheltered, I wrote sheltered question mark sophisticated and then you said <laughs> all these other people were sophisticated and I remember thinking of you as like oh my gosh she is so polished and she can talk you know empowerment when I didn't even know what empowerment <laughs> meant and then you were this wandering free spirit and it was this melange of like uber city sophistication and like bon vivant scarves in the wind. So I think it's so funny how we see ourselves and how others might. I mean, and I'm just one person kind of glimpsing that. But I am dying to hear when someone has that, I'm just going to be a free spirit, how structure kind of moves in even despite oneself. Yeah. Um, so talk me through those first couple of, of adventures post-college. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's amazing how life Whittles, whittles you into a vein after a while. And it, it's a good thing. So I traveled a little bit more after school, after college ended, and eventually did, of course, land in New York, which was what I had really wanted to do. I attended bar for a while at a bar in Soho that, as a sign of the arc of our lives, is now a McLaren stroller store, which I always think is <laughs> it was like this dark and gritty corner of Soho back then. And now I was like, about to say the bartending thing yeah. sounds right. I don't know about the McLaren, but okay. Right. And I lived in the West Village and I had a you know fantastic time just absolutely falling in love with the city. I was I read a ton about the history of New York and I got, you know, really into kind of the layers of 
lives experienced in this very small condensed space. And, and I just loved living there. Uh, but then I've, I sort of realized, okay, I, it's time to get serious. So I actually applied to an ad in the New York Times in the job section mm-hmm. and ended up as if like an irresistible magnetic pull for everyone of our generation into management consulting, which I feel like is kind of this catch-all for people, at least when we were out of college, who were still trying to sort of figure out what to do with their degrees. And my degree was in history, so kind of could go in a lot of different directions. So I started working at a consulting firm and found that I actually really liked it. You know, it was kind of logic and puzzles and problem solving and tons of variety of different people and different experiences. I started working a lot in financial services. And in in those days, a lot of the stuff happening in the industry was really around market infrastructure sort of changing and the advent of electronification and sort of the guts of how the securities industry works was transforming. So the types of projects I got to do were really cool. They were, you know, for stock exchanges or sort of new trading networks or industry utilities all over the world. So I spent some time in Zurich and Hong Kong and London, and it was it was just fun. Like I, I found myself really interested in it and liking the people. So that actually was a good fit for a while. And I was thinking that I would go to graduate school and consider maybe moving into a more public sector focus because I still had like this passion for Latin America and this passion for women's issues that I wanted to address. And then I went through the process of applying to graduate school and 9-11 happened. And I very much on the heels of that met the man that I eventually would marry right before we both (laughs) departed New York City to go to graduate school in different locations. And I suppose, again, like many in our kind of cohort, it just kind of all those things kind of rattled me. And Mm -hmm. I kind of decided to stick with my vein. You know, it was working well for me. I was enjoying my career. I was doing well at it. I went to graduate school in Boston. I had a good couple of years there. I tested out some of that public sector stuff with some coursework and some internships. And I really found that I had grown to like the way decisions are made in the private sector. You know, there was kind of a speed and decisiveness that suited Mm -hmm. me. And, Mm -hmm. and I felt like I had more to do there. So when I graduated and moved back to New York City, and wonderfully had managed to stay together with Andrew, my husband, during the the tumultuous two years of graduate school with us commuting from Ann Arbor to Boston together, I went right back into consulting and financial services. And I've kind of been doing it ever since, which is remarkable to me, because I did not even take like a math class in college. It was (laughs) not what I expected to have happen. But I did all that in graduate school. I sort of took all the finance and, and, and all that kind of good stuff. So it's been an extraordinary career. And what I have managed to do over these 20 or so years that I've been working in wholesale banking is actually find ways to bring sort of my passions into it. So I spent a couple of years, for example, building a Latin America business for Merrill Lynch. I was down in the region and I was you know, helping to acquire local brokerages and build up um, local presence and, you know, sort of bring the infrastructure of banking into parts of the world that maybe hadn't had as robust a, a system of financing for local businesses and that kind of thing. But really what's been kind of rewarding in the way this has all turned out is just the longevity of being in an industry and being in a company. I've now been at Oliver Wyman, where I work now for a pretty long time. 
the longevity of being able to kind of move from kind of line work to management and mentoring and helping lead groups of people. And really just particularly for women and, you know, people from less represented groups in my firm, help them to kind of discover their potential and find a road and understand that, yes, you can have a family and do these kinds of jobs. And there is a network of women that will help each other. And it's kind of great to, at this point, be able to sort of put my head above the parapet a little bit and mm-hmm. see that, you know, we ha- we can get there. So that's been perhaps the most rewarding part of this career path that I've chosen. And then I would be remiss if I didn't also talk about the sort of extraordinary advent of my children, which is the real thing that brings that kind of stability to life. I had twins uh, 12 years ago, boy and a girl, and I tried to go back to work after three months. I kind of went in, I had to like put the paper on the windows of my office so Mm -hmm. I could pump and, you know, (laughs) the whole uh, infrastructure there. And I lasted about a week. And then I just resigned and I went, I was uh, with the kids for two years. And then I started doing some independent consulting on my own. I started an LLC and then I, I swooped back into the formal job world about a year after that. What was that decision-making process for the quitting? It was just, this is too overwhelming or you had a direct pull. Like, was it more of a push, more of a pull? So I had my children right at the time of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So there was like a ton of turmoil around my workplace already. And so it was not the worst time to sort of exit stage left for a couple of years. But really what happened with the children, you know, I think it was Erica Meitner who came over when the babies were little and she was like, it's like National Geographic in here. There's just stuff <laughs> happening. All like two infants. It's a lot. <laughs> Body parts. There was a lot going down. <laughs> yeah, it was very intense. And my husband was, you know, amazing. And we were really in it together. When you have, you know, two babies, everybody's, everybody's doing all the stuff. But it was, it was exhausting. It was overwhelming. It was magnificent. And, you know, I just wasn't ready to be away from them. It just was too, like gut-wrenching for me. But, you know, everybody has their sort of way of finding that balance and what works for them. So again, you know, one of the things I do a lot now is work with other uh, women in my firm who are, and men as well, who are becoming parents and sort of figuring out how to navigate all of that with a very intense, you know, job that can be at times quite all-consuming. But for me, it just, it was not something that I was ready yet to balance emotionally or logistically. Yeah. So that actually really takes on a new shape to the gendered lens that you bring to things like seeing here I am in a position where I I could keep going, but this is more important and this family is important. So that checks off like gender stuff. There's also (laughs) that free spirit travel part, which I know kind of stinks when you have the little, but tell me, I'm sure you've made the most of it with your family. How have you infused that part of old Mariah into (laughs) your life now? Yeah, that's a great question. We have done our best. Our first trip with them, we were ambitious. Our first trip with them when they were less than one year old and we went to the Caribbean was a real disaster. Nobody had a lot of fun on that one. But <laughs> we've tried to to go, you know, somewhere interesting with the kids at least every year. So they've been, they've been to, you know, Rome and they've been to Paris and they've been to Siena <laughs> in Italy where we did our study <laughs> together and they've been to few other a few other places and what I love doing with them is actually we'll pick sort of one place to go together and then 
as they've gotten older, this has been easier to do, but we'll sort of let them select a couple topics about the place to become expert in so that when we get there, they can kind of teach us about the language or the food or the, you know, dance or whatever thing they get excited about. So for me, that wanderlust, if you will, has moved into the planning phase as much (laughs) as in the actual experience. And they're just really curious kids. I think the big thing is just, it's that curiosity about the world and languages, which I always loved. And, you know, reading different literatures and learning about art and different parts of the world and everything, that's just really ultimately about curiosity. So as long as my kids have intellectual curiosity, I feel like I've done well. And that's also what I think with the people that I work with, you know, whenever someone comes in with a crazy background in, (laughs) I guess now we think of liberal arts backgrounds as kind of unusual. (laughs) They're like, I studied French literature or, you know, whatever that's fine. And so if anyone is listening who is plotting their next move after graduating from Dartmouth and wondering what the heck they're going to do with one of these marvelously interesting majors in liberal arts, you know, that's fine. It's fine. As long as you have that intellectual curiosity and are willing to learn the next thing, I still think there's nothing better than that. So I guess that's a circuitous answer, but we've tried to keep it alive in practice and also in approach to learning. Yeah, well, earlier I had said that your answer surprised me, but that doesn't surprise me at all. That really sums up who I I think of when I think of Raya, that intellectually curious and willing to stand for something and see where an adventure goes. All of those (laughs) things sound to the point. But, you know, what I'm really excited about now and what I love with what you're doing, Leslie, is that there's a big adventure to come still. (laughs) So, you know, it sort of feels like this has been the second third of life for Mm. some reason to me. And I actually was reading recently an article that another one of our classmates, Jenny Tranner, sent me as research by a Dartmouth professor. I can't remember the name of the professor right now, but basically this was like this very comprehensive research of people all over the world normalizing for all sorts of social and economic factors. And this research found that the absolute nader of a person's life, the the point when they are at their most unhappy is at age (laughs) 47.2, which is like exactly where we are. (laughs) But it's it's exactly this moment where you kind of realize that all the other things you might have done, you know, those roads have kind of gone off and petered out. And it's remarkably consistent across cultures and socioeconomic brackets and all sorts of things. But the upside of that is we're, you know, we're back on the up now with this, this birthday for class of 96. Here we go on the upswing. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about the next chapter. I think what I've kind of gleaned from the road so far is that I do have some unfinished business and it is around focusing more directly on on women and girls. And that's really what I want kind of the next chunk of my life to be about. So really happy to have had the career that I've had and that I'm having, um, which is very rewarding, but I'm excited to kind of take advantage of where that positions me to go next. I love that. And I do think that the best is yet to come for all of us. Um, And I certainly hope that for you, this first two thirds haven't been so shabby. Um, So hope the trajectory (laughs) continues that way. Exactly. Thanks so much for being here, Mariah. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Mariah Rosberg, who has over 20 years of experience serving leading investment and universal banks in the U.S., Europe, and Latin America. 
She's currently a partner at Oliver Wyman, where she is head of America's corporate and institutional banking and also helps drive crucial decisions for the future of the firm and mentors colleagues navigating parenthood and consulting. For these and other Herculean efforts juggling life with twins, Working Mother Magazine named her a Working Mother of the Year. If we gave out awards, we would be accused of cowering to the trend of universal accolades because every single guest on our show is deserving of some honor or another. Have someone to nominate? Please fill out the form in the Contact Us link on roadstakenshow.com. While on the site, you can also access all of our previous episodes, our lengthy show notes, and even transcripts. If you'd rather that we come to you, just subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts, and each week, your device will automatically be served my guests and me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on future episodes of Roads Taken.